Are you tired of ticket fees? Pay the price for your ticket that is advertised and not a penny more. Go to TickSplits.com. That's T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z.com. Fantastic prices on all sports and concert tickets. Guaranteed seats, no fees. TickSplits.com. That's T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z.com. Welcome, welcome, everybody, back to another episode of Halitech Hall. Mr. Halitech, how are you, sir? Double A. I hope you're surviving the snowfall in Chicago. I live a little bit north and just north of the, the Illinois-Wisconsin border, so uh, we are snow-free. Uh, you guys are supposed to get 10, 12 inches of snow last report. How did it work out for you? Uh, luckily, it wasn't that much, uh, so it's, you know, can't complain too much. It's not... Uh, not too pleasant outside, but could have been worse. And for February, uh, it's actually still pretty warm. So uh, all things being equal, the, the winter's been, uh, you know, knock wood, uh, pretty decent um, as far as they go. Um, so, you know, can't, can't complain too much. Um, it's par for the course this time of year. Uh, but we are uh, certainly have a few things to talk about this week with the Bears. Um, got some interesting news and notes uh, you know, the uh, press conference that uh, Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace uh, gave separately at the Combine took place. Um, so, uh, you know, as is typical with these type of uh, things, I don't know that they said a lot, but people will certainly read a lot into what they said and what they didn't say. What did you think about what uh, what Ryan Pace said to start off? The the interesting thing is, as you read the comments on, on Twitter is, is uh, our, our local experts trying to, quote-unquote, read the tea leaves about what was said and what wasn't said. And you're absolutely right. He, he re- they really said nothing. Um, you know, what did, what did they say? They said that Mitch Trubisky is going to be our quarterback. How can you not say Mitch Trubisky is going to be your quarterback heading into 20 because he's the only quarterback on the roster right now? So there's there's all much ado about nothing there. Um, I think that that uh, talking about the the new additions to the coaching staff and what they are going to do for for Mitch and the offensive line I think was important. Uh, we did sign a tight end, which we talked about last week. We didn't do much in the way of signing this week, but getting back to to your question, you know it was you know. When, when Pace talks, he says the same thing every time. We need to get better. We all need to get better at our jobs. The offense needs to get better. The coaches need to get better. I need to get better. Well, we, we understand that. So, but it's basically, it's the first basic press conference of the season since, since uh, the combine is upon us and the season, the, the official beginning of the season uh, doesn't begin for another three weeks in the middle of March. Um, it's just, 
it, it is what it is. It was just a little, you know, you know, chumming the water, if you will, to just to, to peak interest for the, the reporters that are down in Indianapolis, but there wasn't really anything major to talk about. Yeah, I mean, uh, one thing I thought was interesting is, um, you know, he was, the, the reporters were kind of, kind of coming, trying to come at it at different directions to sort of maybe get him to give something away. Um, I, I don't know what people expected him to say. It's like you said, they only have one quarterback on the roster. He, they gain nothing by by giving um, any sort of, you know, inkling that they might be willing to move on. Uh, there's no advantage to that. Um, you know, there's, you know, if they end, if Mitch ends up being the quarterback for 2020, which I still fully expect that to be the case, there's no, there's nothing gained by making negative statements about the guy at this point in time. Um, <clears throat> you know, as Ryan said, he knows, uh, they all know that Mitch didn't play well in 2019. They all know that he has to play better. They all know the team has to be better. Um, and they're certainly not satisfied with it. Um, I did think it was interesting him talking about the fifth year option. Uh, he kind of punted on that a little bit, just saying, you know, we're not going to talk about that until the, you know, it comes to that point because they don't have to decide until May. Um, which is a contrast to the way they dealt with Leonard Floyd's fifth-year option, where they announced it at the end of the year, I believe, uh, moving into 2019. So, kind of interesting. Um, you know, personally, I don't. I'm not sure why they would pick up the fifth-year option. Um, you know, just because it is going to be pretty pricey, upwards of 20 million dollars. Um, I know it is only guaranteed for for injury, but I kind of feel like. The chances of him outplaying that are pretty slim. So even if he does have a good season, um, you know you 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 know you probably have a good chance of re-signing him uh, to a to a longer deal. Um, but you never know. I mean, there's a, I would say it's about a 50-50 shot that they're going to pick it up. I mean, it kind of depends on I think who else they bring in. So basically, what Pace is telling you there is it's still to be determined and I think the big thing that he also said is that every position he wants to have competition at they asked him are you bringing in competition for Mitch Trubisky and he said well we want to have competition at every position um, and he said that you know at the end of the year and he's saying it again now so you have to believe that there's going to be some kind of you know at least more uh, robust competition uh at the quarterback position. Um, what that's going to be, I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of things, a lot of factors are going to depend on that, what they end up spending in other areas. Um, and then, you know, as they moved on to Nagy, uh, what I would say is most interesting about what Nagy said is that, you know, he was asked, what does Mitch need to uh, improve upon? And uh, the answer <laughs> was kind of rough for Mitch. I mean, he's talking about, you know, he's got a, you know, be able to know the defenses and the offense better than me. And, you know, he would tell you that he didn't do that last year. And he didn't, you know, not, and he, now he's trying to say that's not a slight on him. But, I mean, from where we were at the end of 2018, where Nagy was telling us that this kid's ready to move to 202, to now where it's like we're hearing about him basically kind of, you know, uh, being held back uh, almost and needing to to study, study, study to get up to speed, it's it's kind of you know distressing. And so you, I I think that there is at least in the way that they speak, 
there seems to be more confidence in Mitch from Ryan Pace than there is from Nagy. Now, he also Nagy also talked about how uh, he's excited about how uh, Coach DeFlippo is going to, you know, sort of deal with Mitch with the gloves off, he used the phrase. Um, you know, so... I'm hoping that maybe Nagy's tone and his rhetoric uh, mean that it's time to stop coddling this kid and, and you know, because it's definitely clearly a put-up-or-shut-up year for, for kind of everybody, but especially for Mitch. Um, and the other thing that Nagy said that I thought was, was great uh, to hear is that, you know, they're going to read do this offense to a large degree around the talent. You know, he spoke about um, them – now being able to know all the players really well, know their strengths and weaknesses really well. And with this new uh, group of coaches, they're basically going to tailor the offense to the talent. And he brought up how, you know, the, the, the offense that Andy Reid had in Philly is not the same as what they had when Nagy was there. And it's not the same as what Andy Reid runs now, you know, so sort of this idea that Nagy is kind of rigidly stuck in his ways with the offense and sort of trying to force Mitch into that, I don't think is, uh, is, is real anymore, or I don't know if it ever really was real, but I think now at least to hear him say with his guys who all understand the system, they're going to tailor things to Mitch. Um, what did you think about what Nagy had to say? Again, it's a lot like what Pace said. It's he, he basically didn't give us any insight as to what's going on in the season. When you look at last year, it was apparent that we were, we were trying to force square pegs into round holes and it just didn't work. And it didn't work for a number of reasons. And we have discussed about this forever, the lack of production from the offensive line giving Trubisky no time to get into his second or third reads in the progression. We talked about, you know, blocking schemes that left a, a running back uh, one-on-one against, against a defender. Unfortunately, that was right in the middle of the hole. So there was nowhere for Montgomery or Cohen to go. The one thing that I, I did think was uh, a little interesting he touched base a little bit on, on, on Cordero Patterson and getting him the ball more. Well, hello, that's a duh moment because, right. you know, one of the things we talked about last preseason was I can't get my hands, I can't wait to get my hands, um, what I can do with Patterson, and he right. was pretty much a forgotten man in the offense all year. Right. So yeah, it's going to be yeah. – go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say the Patterson thing, Pace also mentioned that. Pace also mentioned that, you know, um, they're happy with their running back room, um, which is a little bit of a surprise to me. But I don't know that they really have a lot of money to go out and get another running back. So you're probably going to see Montgomery, Nall, and um, Cohen this season. And then he kind of mentioned that, you know, Patterson might be more involved – in the backfield, somebody specifically asked Pace that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, 
it's uh, Nagy seemed very excited and fired up and and you know like he does and he's you know he can be very kind of you know uh, you can get kind of caught up in his in his uh, energy but then you sort of sit back and you look at what did he actually say and he didn't really say much but the the my takeaway from it was a couple things is that he see once again he's talking about this lack of offensive identity again which is frustrating to hear and then you know he's also talking about this kind of trust the process mentality, um, you know, and that Mitch needs to, um, you know, trust the process, um, you know. So I don't know. It 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 was in pace sort of set up a scenario where he was very clear about these are Nagy's guys. He he hired all these guys. I don't I stay out of coaching, and then you know Nagy kind of I felt like subtly was sort of saying like. You know, I'm going to do my best with the players that Pace has given me um, and we'll see how it goes kind of thing. So it's a little bit. I don't know. I, I mean, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I felt I feel like there's starting to be, you know, a little bit of a division, you know, perhaps, um, you know, as things get a little more serious and these guys realize, you know, when the rubber meets the road that the, the that the uh, results of 2020 are are you know, going to be very important to their long-term future with this organization. Um, could be could be reading too much into it. I think sometimes Nagy just talks himself into a box. You know, he, he had a quote about Mitch where he started out saying one thing and then completely by the end of it he was contradicting himself. Um, so sometimes he just kind of gets going and, you know, I can relate to that. So <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah, get in line. We can all do that. <laughs> there were two big roster moves um, there was one minor one. Devontae Bond was a linebacker that played the last three games for the Bears, and they re-signed him to, I believe, a one-year deal. But the big news out of out of Hallis Hall this week was uh, the termination of the contracts of Taylor Gabriel and Prince of Mukamara. Yeah, absolutely. Um, not really a surprise. Uh, we've talked about it. Everybody's pretty much talked about these guys being – potential cap casualties just because of their number and you know if you if you look i mean they have we have these we're lucky that we have these great resources like spot track and uh over the cap you can really just look at that and without having to do the research yourself and sort of see okay what are the obvious cuts here guys that we can get rid of that are on the end of their deal that you know the guaranteed money's already been paid and you know unfortunately i like both of those guys um it's just it comes down to money and production um, and you know, the two didn't really match up uh, in terms of this past season, Gabriel through no real fault of his own with concussions. Um, and then, you know, I think he suffered just from the fact that Mitch wasn't very good uh, in 2019. I mean, you know, they had the, the Redskins game, uh, a couple other moments, uh, but really he wasn't on the field much. And, so it's a shame. I, I liked the signing. I liked what he did in 2018, but it wasn't a surprise to see him cut. And then Amukamara, um, I think he's still a good player, but probably not worth that much money when you don't have that much to spend. Um, you know, it, it does, uh, you know, really kind of open a couple of holes on the roster as far as I'm concerned, though, because I don't, you know, as much as you want to think that maybe Miller can be in the slot uh, or Patterson, um, to, to necessarily say that Wims or Ridley are ready to step in 
and give you production. I, I don't know if that's the case. I mean, I, I'd like to believe that. I, I just, you know, that's a hole. And then at cornerback, you're looking at Tolliver, um, you know, who's who's played well in spots when he's been forced into action. Um, and, he, and he's a nice-looking young player. But uh, And then you have Roberson, who they just signed, who's never played in the NFL, um, you know, who they like from the CFL. But, you know, maybe Duke Shelley, uh, you know, it's it's just a question mark. You don't really want to have a question mark at your other corner. Um, but Pace talked about Roberson, you know, liking his game and, you know, kind of liking liking his likening his game to Kyle Fuller and the way that he can jump routes and things like that. So, <clears throat> again, cuts that saved us about 13.5. So they sit about 27, 28 million right now against the cap. Um People ask Pace about extending A-Rob, uh, Allen Robinson, um, and he kind of, you know, deflected that a little bit. But that's something that a lot of people sort of are predicting as a way to get more cap space. Um, but <clears throat> it's just very stark the way this roster looks and the way we have to talk about this roster this offseason as opposed to last offseason where we were talking about how it seems so complete, so let, so little holes, and now you've got holes all over the place. I don't know where to go from there. It's just it's just amazing that that when we were at this time last year, we were excited uh, about this team and the lack of holes other than kicker was right. was the big thing. And now all of a sudden we have holes at wide receiver. We have holes at inside linebacker. We have a huge question mark at the quarterback position. Uh, we have a huge question mark in, in the interior offensive line. Or pretty much the entire right side of the offensive yeah. line. You know, yeah. Len, you know, Lester Wolfong just penned an article. It's, it's in Twitter as of this morning, saying that it looks like they're going to just leave Whitehair and Daniels alone at center and, and left guard. And I think that's a smart move. Um, I don't know that Daniels was able to pick up the line adjustments, which caused a lot of the problems early on in the year. Uh, you know, you've got you've got wide receivers in your wide receiver room that, quite frankly, why didn't they see the field more? Especially this kid Ridley last year, and and um, you know it's it's a shame. And we'll talk about this with with Jacob in, in a little bit, but um, you look all around the league and you see. Wide receivers in their rookie years having substantial impacts for their teams, but yet the Bears wide receiver rookies can seldom make the field. And when we were going through the first part of the year, there was a lot of griping about the certain route running uh, ability or lack thereof, uh, undisciplined route running from Anthony Miller. Why wasn't Ridley given a chance then? Well, all of a sudden, somebody kicked him in the ass and Anthony Miller just lit it up for the last few games of the season, only to, to injure his shoulder again last in, the, in a worthless game at the end of the year against Minnesota. So there's some question marks at wide receiver. Are you going to put Cohen in the slot replacing Gabriel? Are you putting Patterson in at, at running back in place of Cohen? Because he can run between the tackles where, you know, quite frankly, 
this Cohen got hit, or if he if the hole was wasn't there, he'd bounce it off to the outside and run out of bounds for a three-yard loss. Yeah. Not saying not saying anything bad about Gabriel. He's still an immense talent, but the the production just absolutely was it was like it was like running water at a third-rate motel. Either you have it or you don't, and there were right. plenty of games last year where you just didn't see anything out of Cohen at all. So. Um, it's it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting, gonna be interesting. Yeah, I'm hoping that they they are able to remake the offense, um, you know, schematically to to be a little more like maybe what what uh, Kyle Shanahan does in uh, San Francisco. I mean, obviously, I don't think it's ever gonna be completely like that. Um, but you know, I, I really like. You know the way the the way that they use uh, the, their rookie. Um, his name is escaping me. The wide receiver. Um, you know, and I, I was watching him. You know, in the playoffs in the Super Bowl, going, why can't we do this with Patterson? Um, and you know, and 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 you know, the way that their offensive linemen are allowed to kind of uh, you know move and um, you know use. Uh, user blocking scheme so uh, you know that's that's what i i still don't think this you know we talk about there being a lot of holes on the roster i still don't think that the core of this team is bad by any stretch of imagination and i still maintain that um you know this team can easily fill the holes they need to fill and even if mitch ends up being the quarterback i i still believe that this this team will be competitive and you know should be um you know at, at least an eight nine possibly ten win team and then you know we'll see what kind of additions they make and then you can kind of you know go from there i mean if they're able to sign um one of the the better tight ends that are out there then you know you might be able to add a win um you know, to that, if, if they're, if the, um, you know, if, if things break the right way, um, you know, also the other hole that, that we haven't talked about is safety. Uh, you only have Kentrell Bryce and Andy Jackson signed on your roster right now at safety. Um, so that's another, another concern. Um, there are a few decent safeties out there on the market. You know, I, I don't predict that haha will be back. Um, but, you know, you don't know. I mean, it's just um, it's going to be interesting, I think. And as far as the quarterback goes, really, you know, I don't predict big change, even though I would love if they were to somehow swing a trade for Derek Carr. Um, but I don't think that's probably realistic. Um, I think, you're, you know, it's really kind of hinging on what Brady does. If Brady, you know, leaves and goes to the Raiders, then all of a sudden the trade for Derek Carr maybe is is much more likely and there'll be teams competing for that. Um, if, you know, he um, doesn't, then we'll see. I mean, you know, what's there's there's this is very fascinating uh, for the league to have this many quarterbacks, um, high level Hall of Fame, you know, very talented quarterbacks who potentially could be in flux um, and you know, I would hope that Pace at least, you know, is is going to find himself having conversations and be in the mix um, to maybe scoop somebody up. I mean, because you just never know how things are going to break um, if, you know, if a car becomes available, if somehow Alex Smith gets cut, if Andy, when when and if Andy Dalton gets cut, what what you do there. Um, 
you know, the market for Teddy Bridgewater is a moving target. Who knows? Dak Prescott, you know, could could somehow become, you know, uh, available. Uh, it's just it's interesting. I mean, I don't know that the Bears have enough draft picks or cap to really get too involved in this, but I hope that for you know their sake that they're not just putting blinders on and saying Mitch is our guy. We don't care what else happens. That's a good point. Well, we'll start to see how things begin to unfold here this week because the at the combine the teams can only talk to 15 fewer people than they did last year. They can only conduct interviews with I believe 45 players down from 60. So it'll be interesting to see who who the Bears are focusing on at the combine and then three weeks from today is the opening of the of the free agency period so uh you know we might be you know we record on wednesday mornings for our listeners uh, and so we might be able to have some breaking news three weeks from today when we're recording live as what's going on in 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 free agency so it'll be uh, like i said it's going to be interesting uh, over the last few days, the NFL has come out with uh, some interesting topics that uh, we'd like to talk about now. The first thing is the the uh, addition of one extra team per conference in the playoffs, and they're going to go to uh, three wildcard games for each conference. So you'll probably see one game on each network. Uh, from each conference, uh, you know, AFC maybe on Saturday, the NFC on Sunday, and only the top seed in each conference gets a bye week, which I think is an absolute terrible idea. Uh, If you're going to bring one of the currently seeded teams that have a bye week, you might as well bring them both and just add two teams and have it an eight and just have it an even you know, race to the Super Bowl with with eight teams and four, then two, then then the winner of the championship game goes on to the Super Bowl. You've got a bye week. Uh, the second thing that they talked about is is a 17 game schedule compromise over the the 18 game schedule that the owners wanted. So uh, it's my understanding, Aaron, that. Uh, the players association, the the uh, players representatives from each team was going to vote on it. Uh, if not yesterday, today, and if it passes, then it goes to the entire, all of the NFL current NFL rostered players to to vote on. Uh, it's already passed through the owners. Uh, so some some interesting things here. My biggest question to you is: I'll give you two questions. Number one. How do you like the new format for the playoffs? And number two, how the hell do you schedule the 17th game? <laughs> uh, I'm okay with the playoffs. I think that's good. Um, I, I hope that what it does is it prevents um, some of some of the things where we've had 10 and six teams, you know, such as our Bears, miss the playoffs. Um, you, know, uh, you know, people have been talking about on Twitter this week, you know, and in the media that you know if if this uh, had been the case for the last collective bargaining agreement, the Bears would have been in the playoffs in 11 and 12, um, you know, and, you know, that could change the whole course of the franchise. I mean, to be honest, um, maybe maybe Levy doesn't get fired. Maybe Jerry Angelo doesn't get fired. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but my hope would be that some some of these teams, because of 
the way the divisions break sometimes and they're not very good, that more of the teams that might be 10 and 6, um, you know, or 9 and 7 or whatever could get in. Uh, I think at the end of the day, more playoff football is good. Um, I don't. I mean, I, I I agree with. I think what you said about the bye week is 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 a good point. Um, it doesn't really bother me. I guess that um, you know that there's not two teams to get a bye. I mean, I think that sometimes getting a bye is is it can be a benefit. It can not be a benefit. I think for the most part, the teams that get byes do well. Um, but it doesn't really that change doesn't really bother me. Getting rid of preseason games is good. Um, one of the things that I think is the, the I'll get to the 17th game, but one of the things that I think is the worst part about the new CBA is they're cutting down even further on padded practices. Um, so it, it's like on the one hand, you're saying we don't want to have the preseason because it's not a good product, but then you're you're taking away the team's ability to make the product better. And it's like I get it, you know, it's a, it's a contact sport, it's dangerous, et cetera, et cetera, but um, – it's just I just feel like you're really hamstringing the coaches um, in in not letting these guys practice. And then, you know, basically you're taking away another preseason game, which, um, you know, obviously teams more and more are not playing their players. So now you're going to have even less players playing than that. Um, I think that what you already have is that the first couple weeks of the season kind of are not great, great quality football because they really haven't had much of. A training camp or practices to 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 get into the swing of things uh, you know there's another thing where it's like there's a five-day grace period when they get back to camp that they basically don't do anything um, so it, it's like I don't know I mean I understand that it's different nowadays you know these players are working out you know basically 365 days a year and training and things like that but um, I just I worry about that. I don't I don't know that that's making the game better or really safer. And then as far as the 17th game, I mean, I haven't a clue. Uh, I've read, you know, um, that it would alternate. You'd have eight home games one year, nine home games another year. Uh, all the I've read that the 17th game would be all off site, neutral site. Uh, you know, Canada, Europe, Mexico, who knows? Uh, but that obviously gets extremely problematic for scheduling. Um, you know, uh, I think that they've they've got to figure out a way to have an extra bye week, and, and then you're just really extending the season. I mean, the, the season is is gonna start going from August to March. I mean, before you know it, um, which is fine. <laughs> you know, more football is is good, but at the end of the day, like, you know, it's just I worry. Um, you know how how the scheduling is gonna work and. You know, I, I I don't know. I mean, honestly, I like I think we talked about it a while back, you know, Fangio's kind of idea of getting rid of the divisions and just doing conferences and playing, you know, just doing uh, straight up record as seeding. Um, so you don't worry about it. I mean, you still have your your natural rivalries and and things like that. But maybe that could be something that they kick around. I don't really know. The the recent development this morning is that there has been reported that the players, uh, that the board of the NFLPA did approve it to go to the general player populace for a vote. Um, I think it was narrowly approved, but it was approved. I guess the owners uh, pulled the the 17th game salary 
uh, issue, which is what a lot of the, the higher paid players were having a problem with, um, which was that that 17th game would only be uh, $250,000 capped. Um, so if you're Allen Robinson and you make $15 million for a season, you're making almost a million dollars a game, then you're playing a 17th game at, you know, um, but I believe it's going to pass. I, I think that you look at the money that's on the table and the, the vast majority of the players are making, you know, under a half a million dollars a season. Um, so you're talking about $100,000 raise, $150,000 raise for some of these guys immediately. Like for most of these guys, it's a huge percentage raise. Um, so I, I just, you know, I know that the that Richard Sherman and J.J. Watt and, you know, some of these guys are, are you know, wanting them to to maybe drag their heels and, and fight back for a little bit more. But I just think it's I think it's going to pass. I think the players are going to take take the deal. Um and you know that'll be that'll be that there's just so much money i mean they were talking about you know the, just the one percent one point five percent that they're offering for the revenue sharing from 47 to 48 and a half which is where it can get is five billion dollars i mean they're projecting so it's a lot of money you know and i think the players at the end of the day are super super afraid of a lockout or a strike because you know, even though these guys make half a million dollars, maybe you know, 750, they really live check to check. A lot of them, you know, they 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 have a lot of expenses. They're not necessarily that smart with their money. A lot of them, and they wouldn't. I think you know, you'd be surprised how how quickly guys would be in trouble if they, you know, there was a stoppage. <laughs> I I can't fathom. You know, somebody making $500,000 living paycheck to paycheck, but it happens. It's unbelievable. Yeah, the vote, these guys just extend themselves to a crazy level once they get that money. Yeah, the, the vote, as you mentioned, was 17 to 14 in favor, and one player rep abstained from the vote, which is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, so now it goes to the players. We don't know when that vote is going to be. There's about 2,000 players currently on NFL rosters, and it only takes a simple majority for it to pass. Right. Uh, it, it does include the 17-game season. Uh, I don't think they have to vote on the playoff format. Um, one interesting thing that I heard, they're going to have a, a third player that can move from the injured reserve back, back onto a roster. So instead of two, there will be three. Uh, we haven't heard anything about the bye week. The one thing I did hear about the extra bye week is to insert the extra bye week in front of the Thursday night game that everybody plays. So that gives them 10 days, 11 days before they play, and then another 10 games before they play again. So you almost have a, another built-in bye week then, right. plus your, your regular bye week. So you almost have, you have two and a half byes during the regular season. One of the things I, I also heard was we've, we haven't talked about it on this show, but there has been talk about creating Monday as a national holiday after the Super Bowl <laughs> because, of, right. you know, because of people traveling and hangovers and everything else. Well, there's right. a built, there's a, there is a built-in holiday in February. It's, Day, it's, yeah. it's, it's called President's Day. Mm -hmm. So if the Super Bowl ends up falling on the Sunday before President's Day solves that problem. Right. So, it, you know, it'll be, 
you know, it'll be interesting to see. So 17 games, the 17 game season, uh, I've seen two versions. In fact, I penciled one of the versions and a guy came on and, and I asked people to, to get on the thread and talk about it. And I actually like his plan better. So yeah, one thing I talked about was eliminating divisions, but you don't have to, you basically, you would have two divisions right. in, in, in each, in each league. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and the, the 17th game, uh, what you do is you eliminate the home and home series against regular divisions. You play like, like the, like the big 10 conference, you play every team in the league on your side of the ball. Okay. So you have 15 games against NFC teams. If you're the bears and you have, you only have then two teams in the AFC and it's you just break it down by record. If you finish third in the, right. the Western division of the NFL conference or the mm-hmm. NFC, you play the third place teams in the Eastern or the, the, the American conference. Right. So that, that solves that problem. The traditionalists don't want to get away from the home and home division series against the, the natural rivalries, which I understand, but then you can eliminate the, the uh, a nine and seven or a seven and nine division winner making the playoffs because they just happen to be the, the best team in a terrible division each year. You know, right. we, we, we had that in the NFC this year in, in the Eastern division. So right. you can, and then you just take the conferences and you just seed them one through what's well, now what seven now one through seven regardless of where you finish the top two teams. Okay. The top two teams in each division, since you're playing everybody, you know, you're not going to have that, that same problem as you have currently. So mm-hmm. the, the, the top two teams in your divisions are the teams that, that, you know, you're, you're going to seed one and two by record. Right. And then you, you go on. Uh, right. and, and it's a, it's a much cleaner format because you're, you're definitely, you're, you're playing, 14 common opponents. The, the only team that you're not, you can't have a 15th common opponent in the NFC because you're, you can't play yourself. So you're going to have 14, right. you're going to have 14 common opponents every single year, which makes a lot of sense. Right. But the traditionalists probably aren't going to opt for that. So. Yeah. The, but I mean, they, they, they've changed around the division so much. You know, like, it's like I get the traditionalists, but at the same time, like, it's not like things have always been the same. I mean, the, you know, they've they've changed the divisions around. Things have, you know, different rivalries have, have cropped up and gone away. And, you know, so I just, I think what you want is you want the best teams in football in the playoffs. And, you know, just because you one year happens to be a bat, down year for a division, you shouldn't reward the 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 worst of the worst. I mean, they're the best of the worst. You know. You're exactly right. The other format, and I've, I've, I can I can this is an easy fix that uh, you know somebody came up with. You your current your current schedule stays exactly the same. And let's say since you play every division, you just rotate the divisions in the other conference every year. So instead of calling it North, South, East, West, let's call 
one, two, three, four, to make it simple. So if you're playing all four division games against division one, you're not going to play division three for two more years. So that's the, that's the team you pull from. So if you finish third in your division, you're going to play the third place team in division three the following year. Mm. When you go the next year, you're going to play division two. So division four is that's going to be your 17th game. And that AFC game, that, that extra AFC game that you play is now the game that rotates between home and away. Okay. If you, if you're home one year, you're going to be away the next year, and you can rotate those games. The only problem is, is if you're playing the third-place division winner from Division Three in the AFC and, and you were both home the preceding year, Right. How does how does that work? So you, right. you have to you have to kind of flip a coin on. I mean, I, th- I on, think what the that. NFL the NFL wants is more neutral site games. That's what they that's what they want. And the benefit of the 17th game, if that's your idea and that's your model, is that a team doesn't lose a home game. So that's that's that could be the the good part about it is if you are going to have these games be at neutral sites. Um, you know, whatever that might be. I mean, it could be, uh, you look at like the NHL winter classic. It could be like that. I mean, how cool would it be if instead of the bears and lions playing some, you know, whatever game at, at Ford field, if they played at Notre Dame, you know, um, or they played at, at Michigan, um, you know, that, that, I think that would be awesome. You know, um, a hundred thousand people at a football game at the big house um, in Michigan would be amazing. Um, you know, and you could do that at, you know, you could do that in a lot of places. So I think they're probably, that's more likely to me than I, I, although I think that that idea is great and I would love it if they changed the schedule the way you're talking about. Um, I think it's more likely that they're going to package these games as something you know, events, um, because at the end of the day, you're talking about most, most of the time, and it's not always going to be the 17th week. You know, it could be the third week of the season, could be the fourth week of the season, but a lot of times the, the, the 17th week of the season isn't very interesting to, to a lot of fans. Um, and attendance is down and teams are out of the playoffs. So by adding this combination of an extra playoff game, a team and the 17th game you're you're there by you know increasing the the likelihood of attendance and revenue you know and the league can't wait to get back to the negotiating table and sell this other game you know you could have you know um bears packers at notre dame stadium you know brought to you by amazon and amazon gets to you know gets buy this game separately um, you know, you, you know, who knows? It could it could get to, uh, you know, some crazy levels. Um, I think that's going to be where the NFL wants to go with it. The one thing that the NFL has to be careful about with these quote unquote neutral site games is you're not going to put Detroit in, in Michigan. You're not going to put Cleveland at, at Ohio State. Uh, but, you know, you've got you've got you've got CFL stadiums that are already they're they're, they're designed like a, an NFL stadium, except for the fact that the field's a little bit longer 
so you have you have Calgary, Hamilton, Toronto, Winnipeg, etc., uh, Montreal. So you can you, you can play some games north of the border. You still have you know the game in Mexico. You've got five games in London uh, this year for the first time. That Jacksonville is going to play back-to-back games in London this year. So uh, uh, well, I, there I are, think you you could see Germany. Um, probably getting in the mix, some of the other soccer stadiums. I mean, it's not that much more of a trip to travel to, um, you know, who knows, Spain, um, Brazil. I mean, you could see a lot of crazy things happen um, in terms of those. That's, I, I, that's what I think is going to happen. Like you said, the neutral sites are going to be uh, are going to be what the NFL wants. It'll it'll be interesting. Uh, hey, our show is is uh, jam-packed today. We're going to take a small break from TickSplits.com. And when we come back, uh, Jacob Infante from the Windy City Gridiron is going to be joining us. And we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the things we've been talking about. And then we're going to focus a lot on the, uh, uh, on the combine. Uh, you can catch uh, Jacob at DraftWire.com. Uh, he's kind of the draft writer for USA Today and, of course, his articles on Witty City Gridiron. And then after Jacob, we're going to go into our history segment. We're going to talk about the second number that was retired by the Bears, uh, running back, defensive back, George McAfee. So we will be right back after these words from our sponsor, TickSplits.com. So you're looking for great ticket deals. Who is it? Well, TixBlitz.com has you covered. From the biggest sporting events to Broadway shows and concerts, TixBlitz.com has the best ticket selection at the very best prices out there and no service fees. So the price you see is the price you pay. Plus, TixBlitz.com donates up to 25% of their proceeds to charity. TixBlitz.com has the tickets you want when you want them. Go to T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z.com today. That's TixBlitz.com. Every ticket, every event. Everywhere. Thank you, TickSplits, for being our sponsor. Every ticket, every venue, everywhere. Go to TickSplits.com and never pay a service fee. And make sure you use Tailgate, T-A-I-L-G-A-T-E, to save an additional 5% on their already low prices. Uh, we are joined today by Jacob Infante from the Windy City Gridiron. Uh, Jacob uh, is... Uh, they're their draft expert. They're, he's he's uh, the best guy to talk to about what's going on this week in the NFL, which is the NFL Combine. He does work for USA Today at DraftWire.com. Jacob, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me on again. I'm looking forward to talk draft. Uh, it's always a pleasure. We uh, we seem to be the uh, home away from home podcast for Windy City Gridiron. Uh, we've had uh, several uh, between you uh, and Jack Silverstein and, of course, Lester and Jeff Berkus. Uh, this is becoming, Halitech uh, uh, Hall is becoming the Windy City Gridiron home away from home. So we really appreciate your support of our show. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know I speak for all those guys that, you know, when I say I enjoy coming on the show. So it's great that you've been able to get, you know, so many of our guys on here and, I know I can say the same. I enjoy always coming on here. Appreciate it. And we'll uh, we'll definitely have you on more and more as uh, we get through the uh, as we get into the the draft, which is unbelievable. It's only what seven eight weeks away. I know it's crazy. It's coming up quickly. I still have 
I still got quite a bit of work to get done. So, you know, thinking about how soon it's going to be coming up is a little crazy for me. It's making me, you know, a little crunch for time here. Oh, absolutely. Hey, before we get into the combine, let's uh, let's chat a little bit about what's been happening with the NFL. Uh, as the uh, NFL Players Association and the owners are hopefully about ready to uh, endorse and approve the uh, new collective bargaining ag agreement. And uh, one, a couple of the things that came out was a 17-game schedule. Hey, we're recording live. I've got dogs that are going nuts. I apologize. But uh, so uh, the question I have for you how are they going to format a 17-game schedule? Honestly, I'm not 100% sure. I'm a proponent of if they do a 17-game schedule, then adding a second bye week. I think that would be helpful for, you know, teams. That way they can still, you know, get that extra game in. The league can still get that extra revenue. But I think that giving teams an extra bye week would be good for player safety. And it could also, you know, maintain the same level of, you know, games that are played without changing, you know, scheduling too much without having to, you know, risk changing the record books to the fact where, you know, giving players one extra game kind of screws up the whole record book system. So I think adding an extra bye week could be helpful. There's talk, there is talk about um, uh, giving a team a bye before their Thursday night game. Yes, every, every team plays a Thursday night game. So that's the extra bye, and that sounds like a, a great idea. But the meat of the schedule, there's, I've seen two different ideas. One actually is my idea. Uh, the other one was came out of uh, a thread that I posted about how do we schedule who's going to be the extra team? As you've got, if there was an 18 game schedule, it would have made it easy because all you have to do is on the, the seasons where you're playing only the one NFC team from the opposite two divisions within your conference, you could do a one and a four and two and three format. Uh, instead of just playing the, the same team that's in the same position in your standings from the year before. That would have been the easy thing to do. But now when you add just one extra game, who is it going to be? And the, the two formats I've seen, and one that I put together was doing away with the home-and-home home series for division games which is a very radical concept, but then you play 15 games, you play in conference, every single team in your conference, so you don't have the strength of schedule malarkey that goes on, and that would be the crux for your tiebreakers. Uh, and then you play two, NF, two AFC teams uh, for your, your extra two games, and you could just you know arbitrarily pick those, and you end up only pay, playing the 16 AFC teams once every eight years, which seems a little far-fetched. The other idea was to keep the schedule exactly the way it is. And if you were to take, you you rotate your AFC teams, your, your divisional games against North, South, East, and West, and you play uh, every every team in one division every year. So if you, if you just rank the uh, divisions one through four, 
uh, you play one the first year, et cetera, et cetera. The year you're playing uh, Division One, you would now play the same team in the order of your standings from Division Three, because you you that way you don't end up playing an AFC team twice in consecutive years. And those are the only two schedules that I've seen. Of those two, which one would you like better? Honestly, I think I'd prefer the second one because I do think that that's the least you know, major change. I think keeping the schedule the way it is and rotating AFC teams for, you know, NFC franchises. I think that could be done pretty easily. I believe, I think that that could be, you know, a seamless transition for the most part, because it doesn't involve much of a transition other than just simply, you know, adding in a system in which teams rotate who plays who for one extra game. I think that could be done. And then that would be the game that is rotated home and away. Okay. Yeah. yeah so I, that, I you, that would work. you, you keep your schedule exactly the way it is. You play eight home games, uh, two against the NFC team, two against, um, an AFC team, one against your, uh, uh, each division, et cetera, et cetera. So, You've got you've got three division games. You've got one game from from the AFC uh, or the NFC division. Uh, you've got two games against the other NFC division that you're playing the entire four teams, and then two against your AFC division that you're playing all four teams. And then that one stray AFC game, that would be the game that you would rotate home and away. Yeah, I think that works for sure. I think that you know adding in that home away rotation could be helpful where a team plays one extra away game one year, and then they play one extra home game the next year and they find a team who had a home game the year before and then manage to match that up. I think that could be done for sure. And it's uh, definitely interesting. What about the, uh, the new playoff, which is rumored to maybe go into effect even as early as this season where we're adding two extra teams to the playoffs. Uh, honestly, I'm not 100% sure how to feel about that. I'm honestly more of a traditionalist when it comes to rules in the NFL and changing that sort of stuff. I think that a seven-team in each conference playoff could be done. I don't know necessarily if it should be done because I feel like it would stress a lot of importance on the number one seed. I think that'd be a bit unfair to the two seed uh, for them to have to go from getting that bye week to being forced to play seventh, uh, not being forced to play to uh, six seed the week, you know, the wild card. I don't, yeah, we, I honestly don't know. I mean, I say for the sake of keeping things the way they are, I like the system that the NFL currently has in place to the playoffs, so I personally keep it. Uh, but I understand why they want to change that. I mean, it's more revenue, more wild, more wild card games, more action uh, for the teams to make money off of. So I definitely understand it. I'd keep it the way it is, but if they were to change it, I wouldn't necessarily be outraged about it. When you look at the other possibility, why not just expand it to eight teams? 
And, and that way, every single team ends up playing the same amount of games. There's an absolute huge advantage that over recent years where the, the seed, the, one of the top two seeds ends up making it to the, to the Super Bowl. Uh, I do, I'm not too high on the possibility of eight teams in a conference because at that point, that's just half the league. And I feel that in the NFL, uh, adding half of the league into the playoffs is a little bit unfair, and it doesn't necessarily give the playoffs as much of a prestige, as much of a selective feel to it. Um, Although I do agree that would be a lot easier for picking, uh, you know, sorting out a playoff bracket. And I think it might do a good job of kind of eliminating the easy route that most one seeds have to get into the Super Bowl. Because let's face it, I mean, most years it is the number one seed that makes it to the Super Bowl. So... If you're trying to look for a way to make the game a little more fair, add a little more parity to the game, I think that 16 teams could do that. I think that a 14-team playoff makes it even easier for the one seed to make it to the Super Bowl because every other team has to play that wild card week. Uh, I don't know necessarily. I'm still a proponent of keeping things the way it currently is. Uh, But if you're looking from a pure parity standpoint... Uh, I think that 16 teams to do the job better than 14 simply because 14 has way too many benefits for the one seed. Absolutely. You know, the uh, current format of, of the playoffs has only been in the NFL since 2002 when, when the Texans joined the league and they split into the current divisions that we have today. So it's, it's only been 18 seasons that we've, we've had this particular playoff scenario. So, you know, unlike, uh, just like everything else in life, things change. Yeah. I mean, we look back at when the, uh, the Texans joined the league, they had to change, you know, the formatting for the playoffs and all the divisions and everything. So times, you know, definitely change when necessary. And I don't know necessarily if this is necessary uh, I guess time will tell what the league ends up deciding to do. I understand why they'd like to make a change, but I'm not necessarily sure if they should go forward with it. Absolutely. The uh, XFL uh, has been kind of a surprise uh, to the a pleasant surprise of people are, are attending games. There were what, over 30,000 people at St. Louis this past weekend for their the first uh, professional in quotations, professional football game in St. Louis in years. Uh, and the football's actually been quite good, I think. Uh, obviously, it's a little bit slower than, than the NFL is, but, um, you know, some of the rule changes uh, or introductory rules, however you want to call it, the, the kickoff rules, uh, the punt rules, um, the extra point rules, and most importantly, the eye in the, the sky where you l- actually get to listen to the booth review, talking to the official, seeing what he's seeing, and, and then making the, the clear-cut call has been quite refreshing. Yeah, I think that the XFL is doing a much better job than I expected. Uh, 
it's clear that they've had, you know, more time to prepare than the AAF did. And it's clear that, you know, they're putting more thought into some of the ways to make the game more relevant and more entertaining. And I feel like I'm pleasantly surprised with how much buzz they still have after week one. You know, we noticed with the AAF, there's a lot of buzz week one and then it died off. With the XFL, it's still going relatively strong. So I think that, I mean, I can't guarantee things from a financial standpoint. I can't say as to how much money they're raking in, as to how much they're spending, what their revenue is. But from a peer on the field standpoint, they're doing a pretty good job. And I think that, you know, ideally they're around for years to come. Let's hope so. Speaking of the XFL, have you seen there's there's been a couple of players that have really caught my eye. I wanted to get your impressions as to uh, any XFL players that has kind of kind of piqued your interest that that might be um, making a name for themselves and uh, opening up an invitation to an NFL camp here. Uh, Well, I'd have to point to three quarterbacks in particular who are taking a lot of the headlines. Uh, P.J. Walker of the Houston Roughnecks, I feel like, is doing an incredible job. He's playing mistake-free football. He's got, like, 10 TDs to one interception right now. And he's doing a good job running the football as well. I think that he's been a dynamic dual-threat quarterback. Uh, I also think Cardale Jones has been doing pretty well uh, for the D.C. Defenders. I think that they're doing a pretty good job with him under center. And then Jordan Tamu of the uh, St. Louis Battlehawks. I think he's also doing a good job. He's also, I believe, in like the top 10 in the league in rushing yards. So he's, you know, doing it from the air and on the ground. But as far as guys that aren't quarterbacks, uh, tight end Donald Parham has been doing pretty well. I saw a tweet the other day. I mean, Donald Parham was a guy I liked coming out of the draft. He's like 6'8" and roughly about 250-something pounds, and he was able to top like 21 miles per hour when he had the ball in his hands when he was running for a touchdown. So he's, you know, showing off his athleticism, and he's obviously got the incredible frame to succeed. Other guys like Austin Pearl, the wide receiver, uh, Nelson Spruce is another receiver I like, and defensively someone like Kenny Robinson, Safety for the Battlehawks. He was a uh, a standout at West Virginia before he was ruled uh, ineligible to play. So he's only still 21. He could enter the draft, and we'll see if uh, with his with his success that he he's been having in the XFL. We'll see if other college players decide to go this route where they you know leave college early. They play in the XFL for a year or two to try and you know make some money while gaining professional experience, and then you know, go from there and see if they can enter the draft that way. Uh, you're listening to Halitech Hall podcast dedicated to Chicago Bears present and history. We're speaking with uh, draft guru, uh, uh, <laughs> Jacob Infante from Windy City Gridiron and draftwire.com. Uh, do you think that, uh, and, and this is a question that I just thought of while we're talking, are any players in the XFL eligible to be drafted? Uh, the only one that comes to mind is Kenny Robinson from West Virginia. Otherwise, I believe that all of them 
that the rest of the league consists of uh, street-free agents and players that used to be with NFL teams but now aren't anymore, so they're unable to be drafted. Uh, but Kenny Robinson still is. Uh, he's He would be a junior at West Virginia right now, so he's you know still eligible to be drafted. He's not at the combine this year. I'm, I don't think we've ever gotten an official statement of declaration from Robinson, so I don't know. Truth be told, if he's going to be in the 2020 draft, but he's someone I'll make sure to keep an eye on and see what I can do and see if I can determine whether or not he'll be in the draft this year. The combine is in full swing as of today. The defensive backs joined the rest of the position groups uh, getting into Indy. Uh, tight ends, quarterbacks, and, and wide receivers uh, were actually there on Sunday, and they continue today with uh, with their interviews, the bench press, psychological testing, while it's a media day for the uh, for the place kickers, special teams, offensive line, and running backs. Uh, the defensive linemen and the linebackers came in yesterday. Uh, and as I mentioned before, the defensive backs uh, finally uh, make it to Indy uh, this morning. Uh, who are you keeping your eye on in, in the combine or who are you looking at in the combine with an eye towards somebody that could fill a need for our team? Yeah, well, the big discussion point for the Bears this year, I believe, is tight end. I mean, when you're looking at draft needs, no one's necessarily expecting them to go quarterback early, so a lot of people are looking at tight ends here. Uh, I'm looking at a handful of the U type of tight ends. Like mm-hmm. They signed Demetrius Harris to be a bit of an inline blocker, uh, so now they need some sort of receiving threat to at least push Trey Burton and eventually push him out of the lineup. Uh, so I'm looking at guys like Bryson Hopkins out of Purdue. I'm looking for... Harrison Bryant from Florida Atlantic, Hunter Bryant from Washington, and then Adam Troutman from Dayton. Those are the type of guys that I'm looking at. Some of those receiving first guys with plus athleticism, I think those are some of the tight ends that the Bears are going to be looking at now that they've got uh, their blocking guy to kind of complement their U. The big big, uh, talk out of the Combine was uh, hand size this week. <laughs> Can you? Uh, we there was a guy on Twitter had a little bit of fun with. I, I had so much fun with him that he's actually going to be on our show next week. Was uh, he said? Wouldn't it be a shame if everybody just decided to pass uh, on the LSU quarterback uh, Burrow until the 43rd pick of the of the draft? <laughs> so I I tongue in cheek asked him. Well, who, who, pray tell, would have the 43rd pick of the draft? He said, well, none other than our Chicago Bears. Uh, but, uh, you know, hand size has kind of been the talk. Uh, uh, Jake Fromm uh, and, and, of course, uh, Joe Burrow, both with nine-inch hands, were 10 inches the standard, which, you know, you can just throw those standards out the window, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I feel like with hand size, people tend to overrate it. I mean, you look at guys like Jordan Love and Justin Herbert, both got over 10 inches. Uh, But I'm not necessarily worried about Burrow or Fromm because Burrow got nine inches, Fromm got a little bit under that. 
Uh, I don't think that's necessarily a huge deal. I think people try and micromanage literally every single detail, literally any new information they get about these prospects and try to make it a bigger deal than it is. Uh, nine inches is just fine for a hand size. Sure, it's not having massive hands, but for the quarterback position, you know, it's still big enough that you're able to grip onto the ball. I mean, we've seen all security was never an issue with Joe Burrow. So I, I don't see what the fuss is. I just think it's people trying to make a story when at a time where there necessarily aren't too many stories and they're just trying to generate the news cycle right before the combine workouts pick up. Yeah, this hand size, uh, you know, I, uh, I am in no way, shape or form an NFL athlete, but back in my prime in, in my, my late twenties and thirties, I could throw an NFL size football, 60 yards. Uh, but so, uh, you know, and I'm, and I'm sure my hands aren't even nine. So, so uh, you know, let's, let's just take it for what it is. It's, it's just all smoke and mirrors. Uh, it, but if, uh, if he happened to fall to 43, you know, it'd be kind of fun to see, but obviously he's going to be one or two overall. Uh, is there, is there any other position group? I mean, there's, there's a couple of guys out there that, that uh, we've talked about on this show uh, earlier uh, in earlier episodes, Khalid Kareem and Tanner Muse and Solomon Kinley. Uh, we talked about Cole Kement. Uh, we talked about another tight end, uh, uh, Charlie uh, Tomopo, I believe is how you say his name. So, you know, there's, there's, that's one, two, that's five tight ends in this group that uh, hopefully one will end up on the Bears roster come, come April. Yeah, I mean, it's a talented group of tight ends. I feel that there are definitely a lot of players who can fit this roster, uh, regardless of if you're looking for an early-round guy or a late-round prospect. Uh, there's a lot of talent, so I think that this year they'd be wise to take advantage of that. Uh, as far as other positions go, I mean, I'm going to be looking at some of the edge rushers. If they do choose to... Uh, look for a replacement for Leonard Floyd long-term if they don't want to extend him and bring him back. I think that this year's class features several athletic guys that can take on that Floyd role. You know, you're looking at Josh Uche from Michigan, Tara Lewis from Alabama, uh, Zach Vaughn from Wisconsin, guys along those lines. Uh, And also maybe safety. I mean, a lot of people are looking at offensive linemen which I think is definitely a possibility, but I'm not too high on this group of guards. So if you're looking for best player available, I think you might have a better job at safety where I really like Kyle Duggar out of Lenoir Rhine. It's a D2 school. I think he can go, you know, high in the second round after his combine performance. I mean, he's close to 6'2", 220 pounds freakish athlete he's gonna run probably a 4-3 or a 4-4 uh he's athletic he's strong he's physical he's agile i think that he's gonna put up really big numbers so he'll be a guy to watch uh so i think that there are a handful of ways that the bears can address their second round picks i don't know necessarily what they'll do with them but there are a lot of positions that are strong in this year's class. And I think that they'd be wise to at least take a look at a few of them. 
Um, looking on Twitter as we're talking, and, and uh, a wide receiver out of Florida says uh, he's had informal meetings with the Bears at the Combine. Uh, he went to the same high school as Allen Robinson, and of course he said he would love to play alongside Robinson. Uh, this guy's name is Van Jefferson. Uh, do you have anything on, on, on Jefferson? I do, yeah. Uh, so Van Jefferson is a fluid athlete. I mean, he's one of the best route runners in this class, I believe. His dad was a, uh, is a receiver's coach, I'm pretty sure, for the Jets right now. So he's definitely got, you know, that pedigree and that background for the position. And you can see that background in the way that he runs routes. He's intelligent. He knows how to, you know, attack leverage points. And he can change direction and cut very well. Uh, he's not a stellar deep athlete, but I think he's kind of in that Riley Ridley mold where he's fluid. He's a good route runner. Uh I'm ho hopefully Van Jefferson will put up more numbers in his rookie season than Riley Ridley did, and whichever team drafts him will give him more of a chance to succeed right out of the gate. But I do see a similar skill set there in that fluidity and that intelligence as a route runner. You just brought up a good point because we've had we have Juice Wims, we've had Riley Ridley. They both seem to be very promising, especially. Uh, after they were drafted and in the preseason, and then it, the rest of their rookie season, they both disappeared. One of the things that we were constantly hearing all of the beginning of last year, uh, there was a lot of knocks on Anthony Miller and his lack of, of dedicated route running. And all we heard about from about Ridley was he's probably the best route runner on the team. So why is it that Bears rookie wide receivers can't make the field when we see rookie wide receivers all over the league making an impact their first year? Honestly, I'm not 100% sure. I think that's something that uh, Nagy has to get better at is involving some of his younger receivers. I think we saw that, you know, executed near the second half of the year with Anthony Miller, and I think that was certainly impressive. I think that now uh, starting to involve Ridley more in the offense, give Wims a couple more touches than what he's been getting on a weekly basis. Uh, I'm not necessarily sure what the deal is with that. I feel like this offense can be a little bit more pass happy or pass heavy than it should be right now. And part of that goes to Trubisky's struggles, I believe. Uh, but I do think that should be, something worked on is involving their young receivers because they've got talent in that group outside of their starters. So I think that finding a way to get them on the field, involving some more sub packages and to get those receivers on the field, I think that would be, you know, ideal going forward. Is Jamal Dean running back out of, uh, I believe he's out of Auburn. He is, is he at the combine this year or is he there last year? Uh, he was last year. Oh, okay. The reason the reason I ask is as as we're talking, I'm kind of uh, looking through Twitter to see if any any nuggets are coming out. Uh, didn't realize he ran a four three one last year at the combine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was the guy. I admittedly, didn't like. I wasn't able to get as much work done before 
the draft started because he was a relatively late, you know, riser at my board. But he's been talented. I know he's done a good job with the Buccaneers this past year. But he's, you know, obviously a freak athlete. And I think that, you know, that's what the Combine's all about, using those performances to kind of get yourself on the radar and get your foot in the door with some teams. And I think, you know, guys like Jamel Dean, I think that him and, you know, other players have certainly been able to take advantage of that. And I think that's what the Combine's all about. Lester, our, our dear friend and your your boss, Lester Wilfong, had just posted an article on Twitter, uh, and it appears that, that Whitehair and Daniels are going to stay, respectively, at, at guard and center this year. And and I, I like the continuity going into to camp, uh, finding somebody, because let's face it, right guard was a disaster all year. Um, you know, Leno is serviceable, but uh, so you, you pretty much have the left side of the line intact. It's the right side that really needs help. Yeah, I, I like the fact that we're having that they're having continuity along the offensive line, because that's something that I think that they've struggled with in the past. Uh, you know, keeping Daniels at guard and white hair at center. I think that's the best. Uh, strategy going forward because we saw Daniels at center early in the year and he wasn't terrible, but he wasn't as good as Whitehair was. So I think this uh, puts both of them in the best situations for them to succeed. And, you know, with the full offseason, knowing where they're going to be, I think that that could only help them going forward as they, you know, get used to the new offensive line coach, Juan Castillo, and as they get used to gelling together without Kyle Long. Yeah, that, that probably leads us into a great place to close. Well, let's talk a little bit about Kyle Long. All we heard through camp and heading into the first game of the year was how Kyle Long was the healthiest he has been in years. And it just wasn't the case. It wasn't true unless something happened in that very first game against Green Bay where he got re-injured. He just wasn't the same Kyle Long that he ever had been. And when it, it was really apparent in the Washington game where he was getting shoved back in the Trubisky. Trubisky's one interception in the Ren zone was caused in part because Kyle Long was, was pushed back into Trubisky's lap, and it never got better from there. So what, what happened to, to Kyle Long? Was he, not, was he never the player that we thought he was going to be going into the, the opening weekend? Or did something happen to him injury-wise immediately at the beginning of the season? Uh, yeah, I think that starts from the very beginning. I think that Kyle Long wasn't the player that he used to be. I think that you know, injuries took a toll on him, and he knew it too. Uh, he wasn't necessarily the athlete or as strong of a player that he used to be. And we saw that on tape in the first couple of weeks of the season. He was he didn't look as, you know, agile on pull blocks. He didn't look as strong in the run game. Uh, and then eventually once he ended up getting hurt, I you know, that was the last straw. Uh, because I do feel like Kyle Long could have played again this season, but I think the Bears made the wise decision in shutting him down. Uh, because it was clear that he wasn't, you know, the same 
it was clear that injuries were taking a toll on him. His fitness level wasn't as good as it normally is. Uh, so I think the Bears made the right decision of shutting him down, and I think Kyle Long walked away at a good time. I think that he, you know, could have gotten a job somewhere else, but I don't think he would have, you know, been the same player. So I think he walked away at the right time. He knows that his body, you know, can't take what his mind wants to do anymore. Uh, so kudos to him because he definitely had an impressive career and went healthy. He was one of the better interior linemen in the league. Uh, but I, he made the good decision, and the Bears made the good decision too. You can find Jacob at Twitter at Jacob Infante. That's J-A-C-O-B-I-N-F-A-N-T-E-2-4 on Twitter. You can find him, of course, writing for the Windy City Gridiron and the Draft Wire courtesy of USA Today. Jacob, appreciate you coming back on our show. You're always welcome. We'll get back to you uh, in just about three or four weeks as we prepare for the NFL draft. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. You know, it was a great time as always. And of course, I'm obviously down to talk down the line and, you know, get some more draft coverage in. We'll be right back after this message from TickSplits.com to close out the show and talk about our, our history segment. This week we are talking about uh, the Hall of Famer and retired number George McAfee will be right back. I just heard my favorite band is in town. I'd love to get good seats, but everywhere I've looked, the ticket sites have crazy service fees. Haven't you heard of Tick Splits? Who? Tick Splits. They don't gouge you with crazy fees. The price they advertise is the price you pay, plus a small delivery fee. Never pay service fees again. Go to TIXBLITZ.com today. TickSplits.com. Guaranteed seats, low prices. That's TickSplits.com. Every ticket Every venue, everywhere. TickSplits.com, every ticket, every venue, everywhere. Use promo code TAILGATE in all caps, T-A-I-L-G-A-T-E, and save an additional 5% on any tickets, not just bears. Tickets for sporting events, concerts, Broadway theater, you name it, TickSplits has it. Uh, again, I just wanted to thank our guest, Jacob Infante, uh, for coming on, talking a little bit about... Uh, uh, what's going on at the Combine? And, and next week, uh, we are going to bring on a new guest to the hall, uh, ChicagoAudible.com, Stephen Letizia. We're going we're gonna to have a little fun with him about uh, Joe Burrow's hands and some other things as he prepares for the draft. Uh, so he'll be our guest next week. Uh, every week on the hall, or at least most weeks on the hall, uh, we try to have a segment about Bears history. That's uh, kind of our niche in the podcast uh, world of, of Chicago Bears podcasters. And uh, last week we started a series where we're going through all of the players whose numbers were retired by the Bears, starting, of course, with Bronco Nagurski. And this week we're going to move up to number five, uh, George McAfee. Uh, Aaron, what do you think about George uh, well, you know, I mean, he's obviously got a, a very storied uh, career. He's um, uh, a guy that uh, was in the Navy, um, you know, um, fought in, uh, I believe, World War II. Um, so he has, you know, he's one of these guys that has that, that 1941 to 45 gap of being, um, you know, in the military. Um, 
you know, part of uh, any guys in this range or this age range are part of that quote unquote greatest generation. Um, and, uh, you know, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's a legendary uh, player, you know, not only for, um, for the bears, but for Duke and, um, you know, had a, um, you know, a, a proud uh, military career as a member of the Navy in world war two and uh so you know it's uh he's he's one of those guys that um is a you know a iconic uh uh player in nfl history absolutely yeah he he played for for the bears from 1940 through 1950 but he did take 41 and 40 i'm sorry 42 and 43 off while he was in the navy he came back to play a few games in both the 45 and 46 season, but he only played in three games each year. Uh, his best year was 1941. Uh, you know, he had a 70 yard run. He had 475, 474 yards rushing five touchdowns on only 65 carries. Uh, he had, uh, as far as receiving, he, he only had seven receptions, but he had 144 yards. Three of his seven touches went for touchdowns. Uh, he was also a punt returner. He was a kickoff returner. Uh, in 1941, get this. This is probably a record that still stands. His punt return average. Punt return average, 31.6 yards in 1941. Per return. Wow. <laughs> now, it's a franchise record that still stands. I don't know if it's an NFL record. Right. But he does he does hold an NFL record to this day. How do you like that? Yeah, that's, that's amazing. 12.8-yard return average on punts. It has never been broken. It's been matched by one player, but it has never been broken. You had talked about his career at Duke. Listen, listen to this. In his senior season in 39, he led the team in rushing, in receiving, in scoring, kickoff returns, punt returns, interceptions, and he led the team in punting. He also played baseball. He batted 353 as a as a center fielder for the Blue Devils. Uh, the Blue Devils. And he won the 100-meter championship as a senior uh, in, the, in the conference. So talk about an a, a all-around athlete. Uh, just absolutely unbelievable. He was six foot, weighed 178, uh, 178 pounds. He was from Ironton High School in Ohio. Uh, he played again for the Bears from 40 to 41. He took 42 and 43 off because he ended up going into the, the, the Navy. He was on three of the Bears NFL championship teams, all three uh, t- championships in the 40s in 40, 41, and 46. He was an all-star in 41. He was first team all-pro in 41. He was on the 1940s all-decade team. Bears, of course, retired his jerseys. He was the second team All-American at Duke in 1939, first team All-Southern Conference in 1939. He finished his career with 1,685 yards and 21 rushing touchdowns, 1,359 yards receiving and four touchdowns. He had, uh, I'm sorry, 11 touchdowns. He had four touchdowns 
on re both punt and, and kick returns. Uh, absolutely uh, an amazing career, uh, George McAfee. He, uh, he, was, he was inducted into the Hall of Fame. He's, he's uh, one of the best, uh, you know, just when you just take a look at this guy, he just bleeds all American red, white, and blue. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you also think about, you know, what, how much more he, his production would have been as a player if, it, if he had never had to go fight in the war as well. You know, I mean, you could say that about a lot of guys during that time period, but uh, he really kind of had <clears throat> the prime of his career uh, taken away from him, um, you know, which is a shame. But, you know, obviously did a lot of great things, uh, lived to be 90 years old. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, just uh, one of the great things about following a franchise like the Bears is you have stories about about a guy like this, you know, um, and, uh, you know, he, yeah, I mean, you look at his picture and and uh, it's just it's just he's just got one of those faces and, um, you know, that kind of iconic, you know, American football player image that that, you know, you would uh, you would put up on a wall. Um, for a Hollywood casting, you know, it's like a, as they say, like straight out of central casting, you know, this guy. So, uh, a, a, definitely a, uh, a, a big part of, uh, bears history. Absolutely. His very first game for the bears in, in 1940, he was the second overall player chosen in the 1940 draft. Uh, he came with the nickname one play McAfee. Uh, because he was known for his uh, his explosive speed, he ran the hundred yard dash in 9.7. Wow! You know, you can you can you can put that right up with with Devin Hester and guys like that. You know, his very first game, he returned a 75 yard punt for a touchdown with 30 seconds left to go to beat what was then the Brooklyn Dodgers. He ran a kickoff back for 93 yards later in the year and threw a touchdown pass uh, to beat the Green Bay Packers. And then in the, 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 the most lopsided championship game in the history of the NFL, when the, the Bears beat Washington in Washington 73 to nothing, he also scored, but he scored on defense. He returned an interception 34 yards uh, in, in that game. But his big, big year, his banner year in the NFL was the following year in 1941, which is a shame because he, what could he have done in 43 and 44? But, you know, listen, listen to this. In an 11-game season, he led the entire league with 7.3 yards per carry rushing. He scored a, a league-high 12 touchdowns. Uh, you know, obviously that's modest by by today's standards, uh, but he also he had to he had to share the backfield with guys like Bill Osmanski, uh quarterback Sid Luckman. Uh, his twelve his twelve touchdowns consisted of six by rushing, three by receiving, one by punt return, one by kickoff return, and one interception return. And of course, the Bears won their second straight NFL championship over the New York Giants, and it's that season where he had 31.6 yard average per punt return but then he went into the uh, then he went into the navy uh, in 40 42 and 43 or 40 and then he came back and he played 
a couple of games, three games each in 45 and, and 46, but then he came back full time. Uh, he played four more seasons, becoming mostly a return man uh, because he had uh, he, he fumbled 11 times in 1948. Uh, but in 1940, in, in 48 and 50, he led the league in putt returns. Uh, I had 30 for 417 yards in 48, and, and and he returned 33 punts in 50. So it was uh, you know, what a what a career this this guy had. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, truly legendary is the, the only way you can really describe. Um, you know, just uh, so many to, to to be able to be uh, that effective on so many different uh, positions is, you know, I mean, it was more common back then, but still no less impressive. Absolutely. Um, when he came back to Chicago in 45, he missed almost four full years and likely would have been in the, the, the prime of his career. Uh, but um, in his very first game back in 1945, he carried the ball five times for 105 yards and three touchdowns. <laughs> it's amazing. Un- unbelievable. So uh, next uh, on our next episode of uh, Bears history, it'll be none other than Papa Bear, George Hallis. Uh, we'll probably uh, have to devote almost the entire episode talking yeah. about Papa Bear, but we are, so, like I said, we are, we are going to be joined by ChicagoAudible.com's draft expert, Stephen Letizia, on the show. Uh, we want to thank our guest today, Jacob Infante from Windy City Gridiron, and, of course, our sponsor, TickSplits.com. And, of course, last but not least, the incomparable co-host and producer of the Halitech Hall Show, Double A. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening. Uh, we really appreciate all the support. And uh, please uh, rate the show, subscribe. Uh, you can get it just about everywhere. Um, and uh, tell your friends about it. Um, and we, we definitely appreciate all the support. Uh, and have a great week, everybody. We can get you. Where can we get us? We can get us at Sports Zone Chicago, mm-hmm. uh, streaming uh, every Saturday morning. We can get it at uh, facebook.com slash Halitech Hall. All the episodes are posted there. And then, of course, Apple Podcasts and on Podbean. And, of course, we always post a link to our show right here on Twitter uh, at at Halitech Hall. So until next week, have a great week, everybody.